When Moses is given this teaching, the children of Israel have not gone into the promised land. Right? So they're all equal in the sense, except father told them when you leave Egypt, ask the Egyptians for silver and gold. And when they came out, they, they came out with their animals. But there were people who didn't have much, because remember, they were what? Slaves. They were slaves. So he's saying, when you get into the land, there are going to be people who don't have much. Those of you who have much, you help them. This is what he's saying here. The poor among you. But there's coming a time, if you follow what I'm giving you, there will be no poor among you. If you follow my instructions, there will be no poor among you. You will be a lender and not a borrower. You will be above only and not beneath. In fact, you will be so blessed, you will lend to the nations, but you won't borrow a penny from the nations. If you follow these instructions, everybody is going to prosper. But for now, there's poor among you. They're going to need some help until the time comes when there is no poor. Now, somebody's going, well, you sure say the poor you'll always have. You know why you'll always have poor people? Because you will have people who don't want to do what Jehovah says do. They'll make excuses. There's a lion in the way. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm not educated enough. I got this on my record. I got that on my record. I got problems with my thinking. I can't work. I can't stand on my feet. I can't do, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's like, really, who are you looking to? When you put your faith in him, when you trust him, guess what? He's going to look out for you. He's promised to supply some of your needs or all of your needs. Now, your need may be different than your neighbor's need. Your calling is different than your neighbor's calling. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Spirit-filled and spirit-led people must be kingdom-minded in all we do and say to access and receive the rewards of our Father in heaven. In this teaching, Charity, Prayer, Forgiving, and Fasting, Yeshua reveals his mind on these topics in a way that we can learn to be pleasing to our Father in heaven and receive the rewards thereof. Yeshua's teaching to the multitude illustrates and highlights the differences between how the kingdom-minded believers should live life and faith in private and in public in contrast to how the religious-minded individuals live their faith in a public setting. The message title in this podcast is Charity, Prayer, Forgiving, and Fasting. So, let's study. So as I said today, we're going to be talking about charity, prayer, forgiving, and fasting. And I'm really going to try to get through all of this teaching today. And so if I start moving a little fast at times, it's because I, I have more um, PowerPoints than I would normally have because I want to really 
um, give you all some, some strong, in-depth references which I need to read. So we're going to go through a few more PowerPoints and hopefully uh, we'll be able to get through this in a good amount of time. Verse 1, Matthew chapter 6. So Yeshua starts this portion of his teaching on charity. And he says, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of man. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And so this is a, this is a very simple opening of, of this portion of uh, Yeshua's teaching. And remember now, he begins this teaching in chapter 5, and he doesn't end this teaching until the end of chapter 7. And he covers a variety of topics, practically every, well, not every, but many of the topics individuals would have to deal with in their lives coming out of the world kingdom into his kingdom. And we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that we, we simultaneously dwell in two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of men. And I say that because United States may not necessarily be a kingdom, but in a sense, it is set up like one. We, we are a country that doesn't have a king, but a system of government. There are other countries that have kings and queens and in countries like that, they may have prime ministers, prime ministers who are serving at the behest of the queen or the king. And in some cases, they may even have presidents. In some cases, there is presidents and prime ministers. And so when you have these kinds of, of nations and states where they're governed, these are the kingdoms of men. Every kingdom of man is going to have to submit itself to the kingdom of Jehovah. In the kingdom of men, men go through processes of political uh, processes in order to obtain power. And the goal of many is to reach the highest echelon, echelon of power in that particular nation, whereas here it may be the president of the United States. When there is kings and queens, then the kingdom now has a system by which the next one in line steps up to the plate when the one who is in that particular position as king and queen is deceased or no longer able to carry out or function in that capacity. So we live in two kingdoms, the kingdoms of men and the kingdom of Jehovah. How many of you know his kingdom reigned? And so what Yeshua is speaking to, he's speaking to people that are in various kingdoms. Remember, there are individuals who've come and they're listening to him. They have come from the Decapolis. They've come from parts of, of, of other parts of Asia. They've come far and wide. So they're not all from the land of, of Judah or from Israel. And so if you go back to uh, chapter four and then chapter five, you'll see, as a matter of fact, 
in Matthew, I believe it's, yeah, chapter, chapter 5, uh, chapter 4, verse 25, it says, And these followed him, great multitudes of people, from where? From Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. So you've got all of these people that have gathered to hear Yeshua's teaching, and he begins to teach them first from what we know as the Beatitudes, and then what uh, people refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And he continues this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, all the way to the latter part of Matthew chapter 7. In all of this, he's speaking to a multitude of people who have decided that they're going to listen to him and therefore they fall or fit in the category of disciples. Yeshua, teacher, they're them, students of what he's teaching. And these are individuals now that are being taught things that is going to be contrary to how they are to are expected to operate within the kingdom of men system. At the time of Israel and this particular teaching, we know that there is another one of the descendants of Herod who's sitting on the throne as a king. They're under Roman occupation. They have the Romans who are really the ones who are governing. And then they have the religious systems of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and scribes that are teaching the traditions of men as commandments. So they're covered in the sense of having religious oversight from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and having secular oversight from the king and from Rome. And Yeshua is coming and he's about to teach them some things that is going to cause trouble for them. It's going to cause trouble for them. Because when these individuals go back into their respected places, they're going to start asking questions about the stuff that he's teaching in comparison to the things that they're teaching. And they've already come to that conclusion. If you look at the end of chapter seven, they're saying that this man teaches like one who has authority, unlike the scribes. And so Yeshua's teaching is automatically putting him at odds with the religious teachers of his day, just like these teachings are putting us at odds with the religious teachings of our day. Arms. That is showing mercy, pity especially as exhibited in giving. And when we hear alms, we see it, if we take on the whole counsel of Yeshua, in giving alms, and this is showing mercy and, and pity, but it's also giving charity. And we have what we call charities in the earth. These charities in the earth, and let me tell you something, can I, can I, can I say something to you? Well, let me tell you something. Ministry is not a charity. If you put ministry in the category of charity, then you put kingdom 
responsibility in the same category as you would the Salvation Army, the Red Cross, and any other charity. Ministry is not a charity. Charities are the, the creations of men. We are not doing the work of men. We are doing the work of the kingdom, which all men should be subject to. So when you put your giving in the same category as charity, you diminish the gifts of tithe, offerings, and first fruits. Ministry is not a charity. Now, 501c3s, they are charities. There's charitable giving. And as a ministry with a separate not associated 501c3, we're able to give tax write-offs for giving, even though we don't need that from one sense, but from a congregation sense, we are not a 501c3. Now there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot behind that, which I'm not going to get into this today, but most people know that the government is trying to take control over all organizations, even though the Constitution says they can't, it doesn't stop them from entrapping and luring and drawing people. And many don't understand the mechanisms of government in order to be able to operate within a government structure without coming under the authority of the government. So I need to say that. However, in, in, in Canada, we, we had to establish a, a charity in order for people to give in Canada without having to incur taxes as a tax write-off. So again, there's a lot behind that, but we're not going to get into that today because that'll, that'll take us off course. And you say, well, why did you bring it up? Well, because I heard somebody say, and so hopefully we dealt with that. Now, charity here is giving, and then it's also donations to the poor. Verse 3, Matthew 6, but when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing, is what he's saying that your arms may be in secret. Now, I've been in churches, you know, where some of the things that are done are contrary to, to, to what is being taught here. To where, and, and I've, I've always grieved, been grieved when I've seen how individuals try to manipulate people there's a lot of manipulation. I remember the first time, you know, knowing my Bible and, and somebody get, getting up who is saying, okay, I want to give to the cause. And so I'm going to give this amount. Who's going to match me? Who's going to match me? Well, 
that would be one of those, those, those situations to where one has to question whether or not what they're doing is unto him or what they're doing is to get somebody else to match them and somebody can say, look at what they did. And we have to be mindful of these kinds of things. We have to be mindful of the fact that what we do, the motivation behind what we do, so that our heart and conscience is right in the sight of the Almighty if we expect the Almighty to bless what it is we're doing. When people want to put their names on pews and put their names on, on, on buildings and things of that nature, that's to be seen of men. And guess what? They're seen of men and that's their reward. But there's some things that the Father want to do in us that he's saying in order for you to access these blessings, you have to make sure that what you do is unto me. And if you're doing it unto me, don't be blowing a, a trumpet. Don't be bringing attention to yourself. Don't be trying to, to make other people see how, how charitable you are. Do it in secret. It ain't nobody's business. That's between you and I. And if that's between you and I, and you keep it between you and I, guess what? When I reward you, it's going to be for all to see. Thine arms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward you openly. There's a very thin line between highlighting the works or accomplishments of your ministry and bragging about what you and your ministry is doing. I have to deal with this every time we do a new uh, year-end letter to let people know, here's what we've accomplished. Here's what we like to accomplish. And this is what we can do with your help. And there's a very thin line between that, you see. There's a thin line between men seeing your good works and you wanting men to see your good works. The Messiah says, do your works. Do, do your good works you know, that we are, are supposed to do good works. And when men see those good works, then who are they going to glorify? Him. There are works that we do that are going to be seen. And it's not that you're, you're doing it to, to be seen. You're doing it. You see, you're doing the works that he's calling you to do, not for the sake of being seen, but you can't do the works of the kingdom without somebody seeing you do it. The results of what you do is going to be manifest. How are they going to give glory to the Almighty if they don't even see the works you've done? But it's not being done to be seen. You see, there's a very thin line there. These are matters of the heart that points to your motives or what is motivating you to do what you're doing. If your motives and work being done to draw attention to you or to the work being done, and that's the question, is it to draw attention to you? Is it to draw attention to the work? Are you doing what you're doing for likes to be seen of men or to encourage others to get involved and join the efforts you are highlighting or bringing attention to. There's some things that attention needs to be brought to because otherwise people won't even know that's going on. You see, 
It is difficult to draw attention to a cause that need to be addressed without drawing attention to the one drawing attention to the cause. Yeshua didn't come to make a name for himself, but how many of you know he's the most recognized person in the world 2,000 years later? Wasn't his point, wasn't his motive to make a name. He simply came to do what Father sent him to do. When you do what Father sends you to do, you can't help. It's not you making a name for yourself. It's him saying, look at what my servant is doing. Listen to him. Follow him. Support him. This is one of the ways we've been able to get some of the things done around here. Father puts it on people's heart. People we don't even know to support the work that we're doing. They wouldn't know the work that we are doing, nor would they support the work that we were doing if it wasn't known. But that's not why it's being done. And that's why it shouldn't be done for you that way. It is almost impossible to do charity work without it being known. Just make sure the motive is not to be made known or to be seen of men because them seeing you and patting you on the back, piling accolades on you for what you have done, that's your reward. That's as far as you go. I remember back in Grand Rapids, and I, I tell you, see, for years we worked on the front lines in addressing community issues with, um, with, with, without any plaques or accolades. Back in Grand Rapids, they had a couple of things uh, Martin Luther King Day, they would have these banquets, and now they seem to be all over the country to where they would have these banquets, and they would invite people to the banquets, people would buy tickets, people would be sponsors and support the banquets, and then they would give out these awards to people, these plaques at these banquets. There was another um, big event in Grand Rapids called what they called the Giant Awards. And these were where the community, uh, which was generally done by Grand Rapids Community College and the Urban League would, would come together and they would have what they called these Giant Awards. And they would sell tickets and they would you know, invite people and they get sponsors and people to support all of this. And then all of the the, the, the names, the, the people of the community, the, the, the folks who, who are recognized as community leaders would come to these awards and then, you know, they would be handed out what they considered to be giant awards. Now, I'm saying this because I never got a giant award. Now, I'm on the front line. I'm dealing with drug dealers and, 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 and all kinds of other atrocious behavior, gang bangers, folks terrorizing community. And here we are on the front lines, and all these years, I never got an award. Can I tell you, as a man, that bothered me greatly. Especially <laughs> seeing folks get reward, get awards, 
who haven't been even done nearly the kind of work that we've done. I mean, you talk about being in the newspaper and, and, and you know, I haven't been, I don't think I've been in the newspaper once since we've been here in, in Charlotte. But I use the media. We'd have an event and we'd do a press release. And I had contacts at the Grand Rapids Press and other contacts, and they would always show up. When I invited them to something that we would do, they would always show up. And then we got all these articles in the newspaper for the whole community to see. In fact, there were people who said, do Bailey do anything without doing it in front of a camera? I remember one day in the church that I was an elder in, they had a roast. And I was the focus of the roast. And man, they, they, they talked about me as far as being a camera hog, uh, being a media hog. You know, my, even my children said, my, you know, my daddy seemed like he's always in, in the paper. And yet I'm bothered by the fact that my own community that I'm working hard for is not recognizing me at any of these ward, awards. And I remember Father saying to me, who are you doing it for? Who are you doing it for? And I had to come to grips with that. And so all these articles and all this stuff that I'd had accumulated, you know, packed it away. You know how you put your, your stuff on your, on your walls and, and you put your, your, your uh, articles hanging up. You know, I got, I got pictures with famous people. I took all that stuff and put it in a box. It's still in a box. And the fact is, is when Father, when, when what you do for the Almighty, when I came here, it was, okay, you can't bring that here, Arthur. The focus is kingdom. Put your focus on kingdom work, and I got you. As a fundraiser in Grand Rapids, man, I was all over the place trying to get sponsors and trying to get recognition and get people to support us, writing grants. Man, you're talking about grant writing? <laughs> and so we were able to do all of that, but it was me working. I'm working myself to death. To the point when we finally came here, I, I had a nervous breakdown or a mini stroke because I had worked so hard day in and day out, robbing Peter to pay Paul, trying to keep this thing that I'm building from collapsing. So the revelation is that if your ways please him. So the focus is seek first his kingdom. Seek first. We're going to get to that later on in this particular chapter, but that's where he's taking us, acknowledging him in all our ways that he might direct our path, trusting him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. I look at this and I'm still amazed. The fact that it has happened without one grant writing. <laughs> now one grant 
not, not, not making rubbing elbows with one famous person. It's him putting in the hearts of men, there's my servant, he's doing the work. When you write your next check, write him one. And this is how this is how this has happened. And what has he shown me? This works. He's shown me over and over and over, this works. Not this and all that. Not, not this plus. This and this only. If you stand on his word, guess what? He will uphold you. And I'm convinced today that the best is yet to come. I'm convinced, regardless of what anybody say. People will, will say things and, 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 and all of that, but that's irrelevant to me. At this point, the only voice that matters to me is his voice. And whatever anybody else do, that's on them. People will come, people will go, people will, they'll do, people are going to do what people do. You don't make your plans in life around people. You make your plans in life around him. Because when you make your plans and it's not his plans and you claim to be his, how many of you know he can disrupt your plans? And if your heart is in your plans and he disrupt your plans, you got some problems. If he's not part of the plan, don't try to make a plan and, and then give it to him. No. Get to know his plan and then let him give it to you. Hello? So, when you give into the work of the kingdom in a place where kingdom work is being done, let that be enough. And Father, who see your work, we reward you. How about that? He's the one who will reward you. Some people have wrote and asked if it's okay to give to charities. And I suspect that this teaching will probably cause some to wonder about that or to question it. And I say only if they are advancing the kingdom of the, the gospel of the kingdom. See, if, 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 if you all are out there giving your monies to these organizations, you know, it's, it's going to be, I didn't see as many Salvation Army bell ringers this year as I saw last year. You go to cash registers in stores, they want you to, you know, do you want to give to this or give to that? And you say, okay, it's simple. I'll give a dollar because you don't know how to say no. And, and if that's what you feel like doing, whatever you do, you have to make sure that what you're doing, you're doing it unto him. You know, somebody can, if, if one of the most difficult things that I find myself trying to get over to people, which should be a no-brainer, you live in two worlds. You live in two worlds. Some people only see it one way. They live in the world. 
And because they see it one way, they are torn between the world and their faith. And people will hijack your faith to accomplish worldly things. When you recognize that you live in two worlds, you understand that this world is not your home. The world you live in, you can say this stuff all you want, but look at your actions. How much of your energy and time are you using to advance worldly stuff? Worldly agendas. Individuals' agendas. And there is no greater agenda than political. This is the one that have effectively been able to divide the body. Religion and, and politics are so intertwined with one another that it creates division. I mean, think about this. A Republican saint and a Democrat saint. The Republican saint have a problem with the Democrat saint because they can't believe that the Democrat saint will vote that way. The Democrat saint have a problem with the Republican saint because they can't believe what these guys stand for. And where did that come from? It's not in the scriptures. But we allow circumstances and agendas of men in the world to use us for the advancing of its agenda, thinking we're advancing the kingdom. How many of you know Jehovah is not trying to advance some worldly agenda? I know folks get upset at that, but that's, that's on them. Either you're in the world or you're not. You're either kingdom-minded, worldly-minded, or double-minded. So what about charities? If, if, if you're led to give to a charity, by all means. But let me tell you what charities will do. Charities will try to strike a chord in your heart based on your faith. I remember I'm out here doing all this work and I'm using the scriptures. You know, what you do for the least of these brothers, what you do for the least of these. This was the agenda. And then to put that agenda to work in a charitable session, now I can appeal to the church, you know, Yeshua said, what you do for the least of these, my brothers. See, the brothers of Yeshua are not friends of the world. But I didn't understand that because my Christian agenda, what it did is that it created this fluid between the scriptures and faith. There's a difference. And this is only recognized from a Torah perspective as we're going to see today. There's a di difference between the people of the world and the people of the kingdom of Israel. You deal with them differently. 
There are certain rules and regulations that guard and guide how we are to treat the brothers in the kingdom. One is that if you lend your brother money, you can't charge him interest, but you can charge the world interest. What's the difference? You can deal with the world people differently than how you deal with the kingdom people because the Torah puts restrictions on you. Why does it tell us, don't let your sons marry their daughters if it's okay? Why does it tell us, don't serve me like they serve their Elohims? There's a difference. There's a distinction. How can you be summoned to come out from among them while remaining among them? Now, that's supernatural. And the only way you can accomplish it is you recognize that you are in two kingdoms simultaneously at the same time. And therefore, while we're in this world kingdom, we have to be kingdom-minded, not world-minded. Or you are double-minded. The Almighty will not accomplish his agenda in the earth through political means. He will use these systems of men to reveal their idolatry so that when judgment time comes, they're without excuse. And you'll see that when it comes down to the judgment, that all these systems that are trying to prop itself as superpowers pale and compare it to the superpower. They'll come to naught, every last one of them. Personal prayer. Now, Yeshua is about to teach because he's teaching on prayer. And in another place, we find that the disciples come to him and ask him to teach them how to pray like the Pharisees and John taught their disciples how to pray. This has been known as what they call the the model prayer or the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer. He says that when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be what? Seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward you openly. Personal prayer is done without fanfare, or it's, it's not open. This is the praying that you do in private. I mean, if you know that all the praying that we see in Acts is not necessarily private. You see people coming together and praying. Matter of fact, when the Holy Spirit was given, they were all on one accord praying. 
So for those who think that all your prayers have to be done secretly in closet, no, this is not what Yeshua is, is, is addressing. He's addressing personal prayer. And we have, it doesn't say personal, but I'm going to show you the difference. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. Before you get on your knees to pray, father already know what's up. Matter of fact, he know you better than you know. He see what's coming. And so he's very much aware of what you have need of. And he, as Paul would tell us, has promised to supply all of our needs. But Yeshua is telling these individuals, says, now when you pray, here's the focus. Because this is really what it is, is about the focus. Don't be like the heathens. Personal prayer from the heart. And to the point, it's preferable. You don't have to spend a whole hour in prayer. If you want to, you can spend two hours in prayer. You could, let me tell you something. The, the many hours you speak in prayer doesn't make you super spiritual. It just means you don't have time to do other stuff. You've committed this time to prayer when that's not praying without ceasing. If we're told to pray without ceasing, what does that mean? That means that as we're going, you don't spend four hours in prayer and then go and do your own thing. What you do is you recognize 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that you belong to him and that you need to be in communion with him every day, all day long, so he can order your steps. He'll give you the words to speak. He'll connect you to individuals. And it's like, how is he going to lead you and guide you if you're leading and guiding yourself? We should always pray. We should always be mindful of him. We should always be in communion with him. If you're not in communion with him, during the course of your day, how's he going to communicate with you? How's he going to speak to you? How's he going to tell you what to do? How is he going to cause you to avoid the calamity of the enemy and the snares of the fowler? The steps of a righteous man are ordered. That means you go where he say go. That means you let him lead you. And even in the course, if you've committed eight hours a day, nine hours a day, 10 hours a day to some employer. During that nine hours a day, 10 hours a day, eight hours a day, you are still to be mindful that you're his. So now you're going to do what? You're going to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. You're not going to be on the job stealing, taking stuff that don't belong to you. You're not going to be cheating on your time cards, adding parts to your, to your sheet so you get paid more. 
You're going to be mindful of the fact that I'm here at this place, but where I, I am at this place, he is right here with me. Wherever I go, he is with me always. And if I'm mindful of him being with me always, then my ears are always in tune to him. And that's where you want to be. You want to be in a place to where he is, is able to communicate with you. To sp- He'll tell you when to shut up. If we listen to him, you know what? We would be apologizing a whole lot less. We won't find ourselves in some of the messes asking how I got here. I'll tell you how you got there. You were ignoring his leading. Ignoring his voice. He's trying to warn you and keep you. Guard you. You are where you are if it's not where he wants you to be because you and something else, whatever it was, led you there. So when you go to pray, ain't no point in dragging it out. Matter of fact, you know, my prayer time for the most part in private is spent worshiping and praising him. It's rare that I ever ask him for anything when I'm in prayer in private. I'm, I'm looking to him. I want to, I want to honor him. I want to start, start this waking part of my day with him at the forefront of my day. I want to worship him, bless him, thank him for what he has done. I don't even ask him to lead me and guide me. That's just me. When I get up from my prayer time, I'm expecting him to lead me and guide me. This is not lip service. This is living. So ain't no point in trying to drag out prayer, trying to impress him. I found that people with impressive prayers, they're not impressing him. They're impressing the people who are hearing their prayers. Oh, you got a nice prayer language. Oh, yeah, I've been working on that. Oh, Roboco. It's like, you know what? Okay, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress, folks? There's only one that you should be concerned about impressing, and that's the one you can't see. He see you. And I had, to, I had to deal with the issue. It's like, you know, I can't, I can't get on my knees. One of the biggest challenges and struggles that I, that I still deal with today is that when I'm, I'm on my face, keeping my thoughts focused on him. Because my mind wants to go. My mind wants to wander. My mind wants to think about what I need to do during the course of the day. My mind may try to project something I saw yesterday. 
my mind tried to go, if I dreamed, my mind will try to go into the dreams. Here I am. Think about this. You're on your face before the Almighty worshiping him, but your mind is somewhere else. You're speaking words, but your mind is somewhere else. You're honoring him with your lips, but your mind, your heart is somewhere else. And this is where I'm constantly pulling these thoughts, constantly bringing my thinking under subjection, constantly refocusing, refocusing, refocusing. I'm on my face in your presence. You are my king. You are my Elohim. You are the one who provides and fights for me. You are my protector. You are who you are. And I just want to com- express that so that during the course of the day, I have put him first. And now I'm allowing him to lead me and to speak to me so that I can conduct his business during my waking hours. Because the bottom line, I only have one master. Even when I had a boss, I only had one master. Don't confuse your boss man with your master. Verse 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice it. This is the way to pray. Approach Jehovah as the one who is in heaven and whose name is holy. He is holy. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So what are you praying for? When you are praying, you're, you're, you're recognizing the fact that his kingdom, which is in heaven, is coming. How? through you you have to this this prayer is saying every day you are the the servant that is to bring the kingdom from heaven to earth thy will be done where does it start with you honor in earth as it is in heaven And so you're praying for father's kingdom and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven where he reigns supreme. We are his ambassadors. Give us this day our daily bread. Who's your provider? See, your your business is not your provider, folks. It's a means by which he used to, to, to get your provisions to you. Your job is not your provider. It's a means by which he uses to get your provisions to you. Your investments, they're not your provider. It's a means by which he uses. You know, in one swell swoop, all your investments and everything you own could be gone. Forgive debt. Here's where it gets a little Interesting. There's a difference between forgiving debt and forgiving trespasses. Now, I know that many of us have been taught that this is forgive us our debt is to forgive us our sins. As we forgive our debtors, how can people be in debt to you? Because the idea is forgive our debtors. How can people be in debt to you? 
People can sin against you, but how is that a debt? I asked a Karaite Jewish scholar once if this passage was connected to the year of release, and he told me, no, it had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with sin. How many of you know sin is not referred to as debt? Debt is something you owe. Sin is referred to as a transgression, a trespass, a violation of his commandments. Forgiving debt is in Torah, and forgiving trespasses also in Torah, which we shall see in Deuteronomy 15 and in Genesis 50. The principle of sowing and reaping, doing unto others as you will have men do unto you. This is the principle that is being applied here. Forgive me my debt as I forgive them their debt. Well, what is this issue about debt? And forgive us our debts as we forget our, forgive our debtors. Well, one, the idea of forgiving debt is that which is owed, that which is legally due. Okay? Debtors are the one who owes another. So if somebody sins against you, how do they owe you? Do they owe you anything? See, Yeshua is very specific with his words, but how he taught and how people teach what he taught may not necessarily always be in alignment. Luke puts this portion of Yeshua's teaching on prayer in proper perspective. It's where he said, and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Now, this is an interesting combination where he's talking about sin and he's talking about those who are indebted to us. And it could seem like, okay, it, it's, it's one and the same, but it's not. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's like lead us not into temptation. Why would he do that? This is a, this is a trial. He's saying lead us not into trials and deliver us from evil. Where is the evil you need deliverance from? I'll tell you where the evil is you need the deliverance from. It's in you. Let me show you. Indebted, meaning to owe. This is the word that Luke used. To owe what? To owe money. To be in debt for. Now, you can imagine nobody wants to release people from debt they owe. But yet, we want to be released from debt we owe. How many of you have ever prayed for debt forgiveness? How many debts have you forgiven? A lesson from the Torah. Deuteronomy 15.1, at the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth out unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or 
of his brother because it is called the Lord's release. See, the Torah commands you to forgive debt. To forgive debt. When? Every seven years. It is the Lord's release. We did a teaching on it. It's called the Shemitah year. The Shemitah year. Of a foreigner, you don't have to. You may exact it again. If, you, if a foreigner owes you a debt, you're under no obligation to release the foreigner. But you are under obligation to not exact it of your neighbor, your brother. Of a foreigner, verse 3, thou mayest exact it again, but that which is thine with thy brother, thine hand shall release. You release them from that obligation every seven years. Where is this evil? Save when there shall be no poor among you, for Jehovah shall greatly bless thee in the land which the Lord your Elohim giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it. So here's what he's saying. Right now, when Moses is giving this teaching, the children of Israel have not gone into the promised land. Right? So they're all equal in the sense, except father told them when you leave Egypt, ask the Egyptians for silver and gold. And when they came out, they, they came out with their animals. But there were people who didn't have much. Because remember, they were what? Slaves. They were slaves. So he's saying, when you get into the land, there are going to be people who don't have much. Those of you who have much, you help them. This is what he's saying here. The poor among you. But there's coming a time, if you follow what I'm giving you, there will be no poor among you. If you follow my instructions, there will be no poor among you. You will be a lender and not a borrower. You will be above only and not beneath. In fact, you will be so blessed, you will lend to the nations, but you won't borrow a penny from the nations. If you follow these instructions, everybody is going to prosper. But for now, there's poor among you. They're going to need some help until the time comes when there is no poor. Now, somebody's going, well, you sure say the poor you'll always have. You know why you'll always have poor people? Because you will have people who don't want to do what Jehovah says do. They'll make excuses. There's a lion in the way. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm not educated enough. I got this on my record. I got that on my record. I got problems with my thinking. I can't work. I can't stand on my feet. I can't do. I can't. I can't. I can't. It's like, really, who are you looking to? When you put your faith in him, when you trust him, guess what? He's going to look out for you. He's promised to supply some of your needs or all of your needs. Now, your need may be different than your neighbor's need. Your calling is different than your neighbor's calling. Only, verse 5, if thou carefully hearken. Now, notice what he said. Save when there shall be no poor among you, for Jehovah shall greatly bless thee in the land 
which he gives you for an inheritance to possess it only if thou carefully hearken unto the voice of Jehovah your Elohim to observe to do all these commandments which I command thee this day. For Jehovah your Elohim blessed thee as he promised you and thou shalt lend unto many nations but thou shalt not borrow and thou shalt reign over many nations but they shall not reign over you. If there be among you a poor man or one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which Jehovah your Elohim giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him and shall surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart. No evil, no evil, saying the seventh year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil. What is your delivering for? Delivering us from the evil of not wanting to do what he instructed because the possibility is that if somebody comes to me in the sixth month before the year of release, or even in the ninth month, or in the eleventh month, and I know that if I give this person money in five days, I gotta I gotta release it. Think about that. And then there's going to be those who say, okay, this is the year release. I'm going to show up two days before, and then I'm going to ask to borrow a whole lot of money. And of course, there's other, there's other scripture for that. You see. So, don't let there be a wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against your poor brother, and thou giveth him nothing. And he cry unto me against you, and it be a sin unto you. It would be a sin for you not to release the debt. Are you seeing this? It would be a sin for you not to give, the, give it to him, knowing that this is a year of release. But the debt is a debt money. How many of us have ever forgiven a debt? And let me tell you something. When somebody has money that they owe you, especially you see them buying stuff, and you know they ain't paid you, you know what goes on in your head. Father do too. Don't think you hide it. He see it. He know it. He hear you murmuring. He hear you complaining. He hear you communicating to your best BFF. He's listening unto all those conversations. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing Jehovah your Elohim shall bless you in all your works. 
and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. So I'm lending to my poor brother, and I'm looking at, okay, it's the end of the year, but this is what Father says, do. What is he saying? Don't look to him for your reward. Because you're honoring me, I'm the one. See, I know how to, I know how to bless you because after all, that what you lent, whose was it anyway? Whose was it? Was it yours? A kingdom lesson on forgiving debt. Yeshua taught it. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, I have, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. What debt? 10,000 talents. But the same servant went out and found one of his servant, fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord, all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him, said unto him, oh, thou wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you desired me. Should not thou also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I pity on you? And his Lord was wrought and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Look at how Yeshua closed this out. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. If you from your hearts forgive not everyone, his brother, their trespasses. Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The only way you're going to keep these evil things from coming into your heart to do contrary to what is written is you keep what is written at the forefront of your mind. If you don't keep what is written at the forefront of your mind and do what is written then you commit an evil in the presence of the Almighty. If you violate his instructions, violate his commands, just because you're ignorant to it, that's why the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will put it in your heart. There's things that the Holy Spirit has put in our hearts to release people, and, and, and on the way to releasing them, they, they say something or do something, and you change your mind. Have you ever thought to do good to somebody, and then they say something or do something? And it bothers you to the point to where you withdraw or at least you don't follow through at that moment. When you start examining yourself on a continual basis, you'll recognize when you're in the flesh, in the carnal, and when you're walking in the spirit. The spirit will ask you to do some, some things the carnal mind don't want to do. 
Lead us not into trials, is what he's saying. Deliver us from allowing evil or wickedness to enter our hearts, for we are your servants in your kingdom where you have all power and glory. Be thy name. When I look at this passage, this prayer starts with us acknowledging the Almighty and it ends with glory unto him. And then Yeshua goes into from debt to trespasses. He goes from debt to trespasses. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Now this doesn't deal with debt. He deals with trespasses. If you don't release debt like he said it, you commit a sin. Why? Because you're violating his instruction. However, if you sin against somebody or somebody sins against you, forgive them of their trespass, forgive them of their transgression. Because this is how we obtain forgiveness of our trespasses and our transgressions. How can you expect him to forgive you of your sins or your trespasses or your transgressions when you don't forgive other people? So while you're in here talking to me, he's saying, is there anybody you need to release? Is there anybody you need to forgive? Forgiving trespasses sins, another principle of sowing and reaping, doing unto others as you will have Father do unto you. A Torah example of forgiving trespasses, Genesis 50, verse 17. So shall you say unto Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren. What had they done? They sold him into sin. I mean, sold him into slavery. And now when uh, Israel is dead, they're using what supposedly was a conversation between them, because they're, you know, these brothers, parents, those of us who have children, if you have two or more children, you know the ones you can trust, don't you? Your firstborn may not be the one you make executor of the will. Why? Because your firstborn is a selfish, self-centered, don't care about nobody but themselves, and they're not going to equally distribute because they've demonstrated that they don't listen to you while you were alive. What makes you think they're going to honor you when you're dead? But you know among your children who you can trust to deal equitably, equitable amongst the rest. Parents know this stuff. They may not tell them, you my favorite, but they got their favorite. And it's not they got a favorite because of something, you know, in them. They got a favorite for the most part if it's a righteous favor of the, that child who honored them. That, that young woman or that young man who honor and respect them, at least when they're in their presence. They may not honor and respect them all the way, all the time when they get away from them. Because, you know, people going to do their dirt. But they respect you enough not to bring that dirt into your face. They respect you enough to keep the dirt 
away from you. They may smoke out there, but they're going to do everything they can to get that smoke off of them before they come home. They may get high, but they're going to try to sober up before they get around you because they know you discern it. You understand what I'm saying? It's not that they're perfect because none of us are, but they have enough respect and honor toward you to demonstrate respect and honor in your presence. Is Yeshua saying this is the only way to pray? No. Because if you look at how he prayed in John chapter 17, which the Bible gives us insight on his prayer. He didn't pray like this. He prayed. This is not the only way to pray. This is the way to pray in, per, in private. Yeshua had private prayers that he went into the mountain and prayed, and we don't see or hear what he prayed. But there are prayers. In John chapter 17, there's a long prayer. How does John get this? It appears fasting was not done while Messiah was with his disciples, but they would fast when he was no longer with them. And here's Mark 2.18. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples fast not. Now, how would they know they're not fasting? Well, a typical fast day would be what? Yom Kippur. That would be a typical fast day. If you saw somebody eating on Yom Kippur, you would know they're not fasting. Right? So how can the disciples make a statement? Your disciples don't fast. Because there were appointed times in the sense where they did fast. You see, if we're fasting, what difference does it make if you're not fasting? How would the scribes and the Pharisees know that Yeshua's disciples were not fasting? Yeshua said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. So the days after Yeshua, Yeshua instructs them on how to fast unto Father in the way that, was, that pleased Jehovah and moved him to reward them for their fast. See, when you fast, your fasting should always be done to, unto him. It should always be done for a purpose. Now, if you want to fast to lose weight, you're just going on a diet. Maybe a short diet, whatever the case may be. But if you're biblically fasting, you're fasting unto him. 
Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites or of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And that word fast, to abstain as a religious exercise from food and drink. Now, but thou, when you fast, anoint your head. Don't look like you're fasting and wash your face. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto your father. Who are you fasting unto? Jehovah, which is in secret. And that father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So what is our fasting is to be done unto Jehovah, not unto men. An example from the disciples of corporate prayer and fasting. See, I called a fast here once. I've called a couple. And folks want to criticize the fact, well, you know, the Bible, Jesus said, Yeshua said, you should be fasting in private. You should be praying in private. Well, let's look at some examples from the scripture. And this is why I love Acts and the writings of the New Testament, because it gives us insight on how they heard versus how our preachers are preaching. They had to walk out these instructions. We have a direct example of Yeshua giving the instructions, and we have the example of the disciples, how they heard it and how they're living it. Verse 1, Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. They fasted in the midst of their fasting. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereof to, whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, and laid their hands on them. So, so what are they doing here? These brothers are, are, this is a corporate fast. They're fasting together. And in the midst of the fast, the Almighty is speaking to them. He speaks to them and gives them an instruction. To make sure they heard it, they prayed and fasted. And when they were done, they were on one accord. And what did they do? They honored what he spoke in the midst of them. Why? Because they were praying and fasting unto who? Him. Praying and fasting for us should be to get his direction, his guidance, his instruction. As we do charity, prayer, forgiving, and fasting, let us make sure we do what we do unto him, unto and in obedience to Jehovah as Messiah taught. So our focus in praying and in fasting should be done unto who? Him. Finally, many are familiar with church and denominational sayings and are doing what the church and denominations say. We should familiarize ourselves with and do what the words say. And we have these examples. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries 
on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.